Hello and welcome to Notes from the Conservatory, a podcast from the Bob Cole Conservatory of Music at California State University, Long Beach. I'm your host, Richard Cooper. This podcast chronicles conversations and interviews with our faculty, students, and guest artists. Today, we have a conversation between Dr. Daniel Zanuto and Scott Burstein. Dan Zanuto has been teaching for over 23 years. He has a BA in music education, a master's in conducting, and a doctorate in education from UC Davis. Dr. Zanuto has presented his work to the American Educational Research Association and the California Music Educators Association. His student ensembles have won 13 downbeat awards in the areas of jazz, classical, solo, and chamber music performance. Dr. Zanuto has also served as the past president for the California Music Educators Association. Scott Burstein received his BA from UC Santa Barbara. He has also studied and taught music theory at the Eastman School of Music. He's currently working on his dissertation in music education at USC. He spent 12 years teaching music in the Los Angeles public schools before joining the Little Kids Rock program as director in 2012, where he is now the director of training. Now, here is Dan Zanuto and Scott Burstein. Yeah, this is Dan Zanuto, director of music education at uh, Cal State Long Beach, Bob Cole Conservatory. I'm here with my guest, Scott Burstein from Little Kids Rock, director of training, national director of training. Thanks for being here, Scott. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. This is great. You're here to speak with our class tonight and do some things, but I, I thought this dialogue would be great to introduce the audience to our collaboration with Little Kids Rock. We've been a benefactor of some very generous acts from Little Kids Rock. It's provided us with a direction. We met three years ago. I reached out to you and you came here and you explained your program to us. And so from that point forward, we were able to develop a curriculum and you helped us with the equipment all. In addition to that, you've been able to come out and talk each year with our students about the program and do some playing with us, and we really like that. How was your role with higher education? Is that similar to other higher ed programs, or how, how does this work for you? Well, I think this is actually a, you know, that's a great intro because in, in reality, I, f- I feel like Cal State University of Long Beach is a very different particular spot for us than, than we really had anywhere else in the country, and I think that it has a lot to do with time and just circumstances. So just a really brief thing so people understand a little bit about what what Little Kids Rock traditionally is. Uh, What we really do is we raise funding and we go into districts that are high-need districts and we give teacher trainings in the classroom, current teachers. So public school teachers all over. And, And we do this in about 32 different cities. So Los Angeles is a big one where we have about 250 people now, I think, that are within Los Angeles County and are, are doing what we call modern band, which is more or less popular music education, or student-centered music education centered around guitars, bass, drums, keyboards, and vocals, and technology. So that's our basic model, and, and that's the way the model started back in 2002, even though then really it was just guitar, but it grew, and it, and it grew much bigger. You know, I was trained in 2003 or four, and since then I taught for 10 years as a little kid's rock teacher, but it's changed so much since then. And one of the first things we started noting when I took over as a director of training was that we we're trying to make a sustainable model because you can train as many people as you want to that are in the classroom. But one of the statistics we know is that, you know, within five years, teachers, 50% of them might leave the classroom. The turnover rate's really high. And they find that once a teacher's been there for about five years, they typically stay, they're long timers. But 
for us, making sure that we can find teachers that are excited and enthusiastic, but also planning on sticking around the classroom for a long time is the only way to make it sustainable. Because if you go in and train teachers and leave instruments, but you know, within five years a lot of teachers are gone, there's not a lot of change. So that's really where we started directing our efforts towards higher education. Long Beach happened perfectly. I mean, like you said, you reached out to us, which is very rare. You know, a lot of times we speak at conferences or present papers, but in this instance, you went on the website, saw some of the stuff, and I really commend you for doing what you were doing here, which was basically looking for a way to, I don't want to say, you know, revolutionize or uh, evolve, but, but more or less to modernize music education, recognizing that maybe some of the values that have held firm for over 100 years in music education might need some revamping. And I also think that Little Kids Rock itself isn't trying to supplant traditional music education. We really want to supplement it. Uh, I was a marching band and concert band teacher. I taught music theory. I'm, I consider myself a classical musician primarily. But meanwhile, we also know that's not an approach that's working for the 80% of the students that drop out of music education the second they get the chance, which is in, in secondary school. So when you reached out to us and were looking for these materials to, to discuss things such as informal learning and other opportunities for student ensembles, it was like kismet. It was basically, this was the perfect situation. And also it happened very early on for us. I think that we had talked to a couple other universities around the country, but very little was happening. 2000, 2012, uh, 2013, and those time periods, there wasn't virtually any popular music education going on. I mean, there's a lot of popular music programs in the United States, um, and that's increasing, but there's a very big difference between popular music and popular music education. The timing was perfect. We were really looking for somebody that was willing to believe what we believe, that we didn't have to convince because they were already on board, but was willing to put their money where their mouth is and say, I don't want just to vote, hey, you come in here once and talk to us or give us an hour of training, but literally said, this is going to be part of my curriculum. I would like to see how you do things. I'm going to come out to a workshop. I'm going to have you work with my students, not once, but repeatedly. And I'm going to have an entire course devoted not just to the methods that you have, but to all sorts of new and exciting things going on in music education. And that, that was really the start of this. So for that reason, you know, here we are in 2016. I think in the last three months, I've given 10 different presentations at conferences and then gone to another, I don't know, maybe 10 different universities um, and spoken, as is my colleague, um, Dr. Brian Powell. And we do this all the time now, and we have people calling us right and left and sending emails how they want to get involved. But this was the place that, that started it all. And, and I don't think there's a time where we go to any university where we don't mention what's happening at Cal State Long Beach and how it's really turned into such a big thing. Our program here is evolutionary, and, and it does take up a, a big slice of modern band in what we do. And the demographics of California, what we tried to accomplish here was to in, include mariachi, which I didn't realize when we were going to put that in as part of our strand, that that was in some areas of the country embedded in Little Kids Rock. So you've got mm -hmm. some great teachers that are doing mariachi through Little Kids Rock, so I was really pleased with that. In addition, we're doing steel pan and digital iPad work that are included in what we do. But the whole notion of modern band and what we've done with our curriculum has really gained a lot of traction with the students. They, I think when they first came in and they heard about what we were doing, there was some curiosity, mm -hmm. but they weren't converted. And I think more and more they're understanding the importance of what we do. It gives them the validity to to be able to think 
about teaching music in other ways, not instead of, as you said, but alongside of. So we're not trying to co-op music education, but we're trying to expand our reach. And you mentioned the 80% in the state of California. We, we've been bumping around between 16 and 18% mm-hmm. with our band orchestra choir programs on average. You know, of course, there's, there are some big programs in and around Southern California that are off the charts with great enrollments, but by and large, we're under 20%. Yeah. And so, you know, certainly this um, addresses that. I think one of the issues that we're looking at with our students now is they're receptive of the message and I think the next thing they might think is, I see myself as a band orchestra or choir person, and right. what I came through, uh, you know, if I see myself like my high school teacher, I'm already teaching five or six periods of these traditional ensembles, where does it fit? And I try to encourage them to think larger than that. It doesn't have to be just you. If you build enrollments, you know, build it, they will come kind of approach, and the music department can have two or three or four faculty members like the English and math department have, so why not? You know? Right, it's all about need. I mean, I would, I'll would. i take my own example of this from my, from my past, because when I started teaching music, I literally came from a place where I had no intention of it. I actually had no music education experience, but you know it was the late 90s in California, so they were hiring you if, if you had a pulse and you could fog a mirror. Um, so I got my position teaching, and I taught at a school for 10 years, and I walked in there with no experience, but some of that was that I didn't know what I was allowed to do and what I wasn't allowed to do. I did know that when I was in high school myself, I was the drum major of the marching band. I also played bass in the jazz band. I conducted the school musical. I was really involved. And then on weekends, I played rock music with my friends. And because of that, I wanted to make sure I included it all in what I did. It was interesting because I walked into a program that was hard hit. There was already a music teacher there doing choir and strings, and she had also been doing a little bit of guitar, but very different, very traditionally, um, note reading, classical guitar based. And one of the first things I did was I noticed I had three beginning instruments classes in my line, yet I had a marching band of 20. Now. You know, they don't tell you this, but the reason that beginning instruments is so prevalent in, in the secondary schools, especially in high schools, is because half my class was seniors. And those seniors were like, give me the easiest instrument and give me a D. I'm going to do whatever I can to get these credits and get out of here. Most of these students had no thoughts about going to college. They didn't care about virtually anything other than having a diploma. You know, I just felt like that was really unfortunate. That was no way to build a program, and it definitely didn't get the freshmen in my class that were there to maybe learn an instrument, didn't fill them with excitement. So uh, one of the first things I did was I killed that program, and I turned two of the three beginning instruments classes into guitar classes. And those guitar classes became the most popular classes on campus. And, And those seniors that just wanted to pass would go there and you know, enjoy themselves and learn stuff. And, and it became a place for the dispossessed students on campus, the kids that didn't fit into the um, popular circles or maybe more marginalized. Also, the kids that were behavior problems that were failing virtually all their classes and other teachers, frankly, didn't want them anymore. So I wouldn't say my guitar class was all hoodlums, but definitely gave a place where people could explore what they valued. And it turned around and it, it was very important. But I think what was more remarkable was that within three years, my marching band was up to 80 people because the kids in beginning instruments wanted to be there now and they learned their instruments. And also some of these guitar players started really getting involved in the music department and started to want to do other things like sing or want to play the trumpet or the saxophone or join the drum line. And it really changed the entire way our school worked. So when I started there, there was two of us teaching five classes each and within I don't know, maybe two years, we each had six classes. We added two classes into the schedule, and there really wasn't enough room for us to do more. Maybe 
you know, if the budget shortfall of 2008 didn't happen, that would have continued. So you didn't see any cannibalization of the traditional oh, program. You actually built, built on. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, I think that's a concern that some people might have. Yeah, and it's also something, just to, to mention, we did a study of this with our own programs, with the Little Kids Rock programs, and we had about 600 teachers that we queried that were only high school and middle school, and of those, 200 responded. And of the 200 that responded, 196 of them said that not only did their programs not decrease in terms of um, numbers, but that they, in fact, grew. And we're not talking about the, the modern band programs. The other parts of the music department grew. That's, that's impressive. Yeah, that's really, really impressive. Uh, and one of the things I do like about our course is called Emerging Methods, and Modern Band is a big part of that. <clears throat> but I like the flexibility, even if you're just doing mo Modern Band, because there's so much you can do with that medium, uh, the, the mix of instruments and, and mm -hmm. all. Uh, and the other part of what we're trying to help our students understand here is that the pedagogy that we use is quite different. It's a, it's a less formalized less linear approach, and it takes an understanding of a pedagogy to control students in that regard. Now, I know in modern bands, it's possible to take 30, 40 students and have one big band, mm -hmm. but a lot of what we're doing here is doing smaller subsets within that. So it's learning pedagogically how to handle and manage a classroom that way. So that becomes a big part of the education here at, at Cal State Long Beach, just understanding, teaching in a different model. Well, I think also that's, you brought up a couple really good points, because I think a lot of times when we think of popular music, you know, it is four or five people playing in a band together. And as much as we'd like to do that, a lot of times we don't have the ability to. Your class talks about all these great different types of ensembles that reach different learners that are working differently. And I think the popular music angle, too, especially iPad ensembles, I think are great, and the technology angle is great. But you have to have the technology and the ability to do it. With a modern band with a ton of people, you have to have instruments. So one of the things that I think has, has worked out really well for us is something I actually explored, am exploring in my dissertation for my own thing, is the combination of informal and formal methods. And in reality, you know, seeing them as poles um, where you could fall somewhere in between there uh, to get the right amount of instruction that you want. And I think that it's, it really depends where your students are, what their comfort zone is, and what their age is. I like to see a class with a good mix. I, in my classes, I had a guitar class that was still taught really formally in a lot of ways. I would drive the instruction. A lot of times we were in semi-circles playing together as ensembles. However, there was time for them to break out, for them to work together. They also helped choose the repertoire we were working on. Then I also had a guitar class that was run like rock bands. And this was at the same time, and kids could choose what they wanted to. And those rock bands, I had 50 kids in the class. I ran 10 small bands. They'd switch members. They'd discuss it. And in that class, I really acted as a facilitator. And I found that that was really important to the kids. Those were the kids I studied in my dissertation. And they spent a lot of time talking about that, how they didn't see me as a teacher, and that made a huge difference in their lives, is that they saw me as a coach, um, as someone that could step in and, and work with them on it. And I think that when I go see programs, because I've visited, I don't know, maybe 100, 150 programs over the last couple of years in different cities in America, one of the things I've noticed is that everybody does things differently, and that's great. The ideal is to find something that you do well and hopefully somebody else can see it and bring in what they want to. I think that's also been one of the reasons that Little Kids Rock has grown and been successful is that we're not prescribing a methodology that is like a day-by-day -day curriculum. It's not like you're buying your uh, Standards of Excellence book. It's not even really like if you go to an ORF or a Code I conference. In reality, we're saying, this is what we believe, and then here's a bunch of curriculum. And whatever you believe, 
go for it. And whatever of our curriculum you want to use, use it. And it's a really creative environment to work in too. And we just made more of an effort this year to bring in the creative side through songwriting. And it's become something that, especially this semester, that we've been really serious about so that hopefully it will bear fruit in the spring when the students get to do that. It's a great teaching tool, and we had one of your teachers, Mike Finn, Mike Finn, right, from uh, L.A. Unified come in and do a great class. The students really, really love that. What can you tell us about future directions and initiatives in Little Kids Rock? What's happening? What's new on the horizon? Wow. I mean, there's tons, tons of new stuff. For instance, our new website is launching with something we call the Jam Zone, which is going to be a place that's going to store all of our resources, and they'll all be open to anybody. Anybody can go on to the Little Kids Rock Jam Zone, and dig through it. They can download PowerPoints from our workshops. They can take lessons by watching videos. Uh, and that's the biggest change. Is I think we have over 100 videos that we're uploading that are all, you know, three to five minutes long and step-by-step kind of lessons that you can use with your students or for yourself as you want to learn on your own. A lot of play-alongs, which are really useful. But I think that that's going to make a big difference for a lot of people. That's been a huge undertaking for us. And I think the next level of what we're doing is really talking about differentiating our curriculum. There's a, definitely a reputation that we've garnered for being for little kids. I wonder why. <laughs> but in reality, we are a K-12 through program where we have 60% of our teachers are elementary and 40% are middle or high school, which mirrors what's happening anyways. There's, there's more kids in elementary, and we see the numbers kind of dwindle a little bit more towards the top as the graduation rates fail. Hopefully, we can fix that. But what we find is that with the approach that we're trying to do with this, it's the repertoire as well. The primary thing with Little Kids Rock is this, music making. We want to make kids music makers. We want them to be excited about music. We want them to be excited to be creative and to have fun and see education as something that really is important to them. It's not like we're trying to make every kid a musician. We never have. We never want to. It's like saying every kid that takes math class has to become a mathematician or you failed. It's just a ridiculous statement. So what we do want is for people to enrich their lives and the lives of other people around them by playing music. And what part of the curriculum do you give the tools to the students to do what you just described? If they've been in a program through middle school, now they're high school. I think it's definitely debatable. And, and I know that I've seen that your students, you know, from the beginning were working on making their own charts and, and stuff like that. I think that it's debatable to where you feel your, your student's comfort zone is. So, for instance, you know, a, a first grader can write a song. We know that for sure. And the only way to find out if they can do those other things is to try it out. So one of our big beliefs is uh, based off of the hypotheses of Stephen Krashen with language acquisition theory. It's this concept of input plus one, which is basically you can do what you can do and one other thing. If you try to do more than that, you're in a lot of trouble. You're going to shut down. So for us, I think, that's, I think that's how the best response to that, like in my AP music theory class, of course, we could listen to some music and I can expect my kids to go home and transcribe it themselves. Or if I'm in third grade, I can expect to play a piece of music and have them identify what instruments they're hearing, maybe to recognize the difference between a verse and a chorus. And from the very beginning, we can do things like call and responses or play after meets where if I play a couple note pattern, they could fiddle around and find themselves. So I think all those skills are built into it. And the real question is how to integrate it. And we need to do it with the teachers, but we definitely need to do it with the students as well. I mean, we have standards that we believe in, and we want to make sure that uh, we're reaching them and that people are, are finding pathways. To me, the biggest thing on our plate right now is defining what music literacy means. 
there's a lot of different ways to define it. A lot of times when we talk to people about music literacy, the first thing they say is, well, you're not working on making literate musicians. I say, what do you mean? They're like, well, your kids don't read. I say, well, that's not the entire definition of music literacy. As a matter of fact, I think that there's a lot of ways to parse this. And I would say that the, the skills for being a literate musician in classical music and in jazz and in popular music are very different, and that's fine. There's some that collide, there's some that do not. And if you really want to have the overall literate musician, you have to take all of those skills and put them together. But I also don't think we want to make every kid learn all of those skills. That should be an option. As they get better, they should make their own determination about what type of musician they want to be. I know that I feel like any skill I learn is great musically. Yet, of course, my hip-hop skills are still very bad. That's a whole other story. Am I not a literate musician if I can't handle that? I don't know. So in reality, I think for us personally, it's defining music literacy for modern bands. And that's the thing that we're, we're moving towards. And then once we do that, defining what it means at each step of the way. How do you progress through those levels to learn each of those skills? And of course, after that, making lesson plans and, and rubrics that match all those. Yeah, a terrific effort that's been going on. I've had the pleasure the last three years to kind of follow along and, and have dialogue with you guys. I'll put you on the spot a little bit before sure. we finish up here. The university's in its third year of this kind of a program. It continues to evolve and it grows and grows. You're going to see large numbers in the class tonight. But they're going to, at some point, now have their teaching credentials and get out there. How are these skills going to translate to the job market being hireable, seeing programs? Are these going to be the teachers that graduate that are going to drive the change? Are administrators going to be looking for them? What, what do you, I, I you see? I absolutely think they are. And as a matter of fact, like I know that, for instance, I know a lot of universities are starting to see this as well, where the students are going into the job market. And if they've been people that we've trained that have come to our workshops, even as students, a lot of times we can automatically say, hey, if you get a job in, for instance, Los Angeles Unified, we're going to give you instruments. You can go to that job interview and say, hey, I'd like to do a modern band program as well, and I come with instruments on the table. I also think that um, a lot of our music supervisors around the country have seen the impact this has made and literally are posting for jobs like this. So for instance, in New York City, if you want to go to New York City and teach Modern band at a high school. We're looking for modern band teachers there. And when I say we, I don't mean me. I mean the New York Department of Education. And there's a lot of cities that are starting to do that. The one thing I really learned out of life is always keep your doors open. And the way to do that is to learn to be the best you can at everything. We hear a lot about who's denigrating popular music education. Oh, I want to do it, but my principal would hate it. Oh, the parents will riot. You know something? I've never had a principal say, I don't want this at my school. I've never heard a parent that wasn't excited to finally go to a concert playing the music that they actually usually typically like. I think that usually the people that are the most resistant to the change are the ones with the most to lose. And those struggling to try to figure it out. So when we go into districts and we talk to music supervisors, a lot of times they're just right on board right off the bat. Usually they're on board with anything new that they think is going to really percolate interest. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think that, that your students are going to have good luck in the job market and find opportunities for them to do their craft. And even if not here, all over the country, you know, the one great thing about being linked up between you know, Little Kids Rock and Long Beach is we have our network of music supervisors and districts all over the country. So we hope there's a lot of opportunities. Thank you, Scott, uh, for coming in and talking with us today. I really no appreciate that. And I hope our students get to listen to this and gain some more insight from everything that you've got to say. This has been Notes from the Conservatory from the Bob Cole Conservatory of Music at California State University, Long Beach. Thanks for listening.